everyone, and welcome to the Siemens Mobility Podcast, Moving Beyond. I'm your host, Professor Sally Eves, and in today's episode, we're discussing how digitalization and IoT can revolutionize the transport sector. We'll be exploring how digitalization plays a key role in transportation, the motivation and what drives us. We're also diving deep into the role of cloud and IoT, and in particular, the role of cyber security, so key today. And to do exactly this, I'm delighted to be joined by an expert panel. Firstly, Davina Pasta, who is Head of Digital Technology, Innovation and Strategy at Siemens Mobility. Welcome to the show, Davina. Thanks, Sally. Happy to be here. Thank you. And I'm also delighted to be joined by Sherry Wong, who is General Manager of AWS IoT Analytics Services. A very warm welcome to you too, Sherry. Hey, Sally. Thanks so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. What is the role of digitization that surprised you the most? So perhaps for you first, Davina. What surprised me the most in with digitalization is... I would say the massive transformation that it drives within the whole transportation industry. So it's no more about um, just a car or just one element of a transport industry, but how do you make the best of the whole ecosystem? And I know ecosystem is a um, very widely used word, I would say, but I was in the transportation ecosystem. I think that's really key uh, to bring all the elements together in order to be able to ensure that all of us as passengers uh, have the best journey that we would like to have. Fantastic. That's a great answer. And, and Cherie, from your perspective, what surprised you the most? I think I've been most surprised at just the the range uh, in where people are starting from today. Uh, there's There's folks who really are are coming at it from uh, what I would say is paper and pen and those who've been very digitized and have followed along technology for many years and and so it's it's just interesting to see I think the the type of solutions that we need to provide now uh, and also the impact that even very small changes can have on many industries especially transportation. Absolutely very much that ripple effect I love that and how would you say digital technologies are affecting transport systems? From an overall perspective, I think it is what it is what we just discussed. You know, digital technologies are helping making transport systems more connected, more seamless, more efficient to deal with higher capacities, but also to ensure that um, there is higher availability and also lower maintenance costs. For example, if you're an operator, so if you're an operator, you need to ensure that you're giving passengers what they need on the one hand, while also running your complete uh, fleet and your complete operations in a very efficient manner. So predictive maintenance on the one hand, but on the other hand, also manage the complete uh, fleet in an efficient manner. And these are some examples where I think digital solutions play quite a strong role. Uh, I, I just wanted to add on to a little bit of what Davina was saying, uh, because with AWS and Siemens, I think we have a, a really great opportunity to think of really enabling end-user full-journey views. Uh, Siemens is so prolific in, in the rail systems, and so uh, they have a, this great opportunity to really be thinking about the combination uh, and the working together of different transport systems uh, that really enable having full door-to-door routing for people, packages, and freight in, in all types of transportation systems. Um, and, and we recognize it's important to really understand that whole chain rather than treating it as individual journeys of, of moving people and assets. Um, and that really goes to further enabling and having this positive impact in you know, smart buildings and smart cities and industrial IoT initiatives throughout, throughout the board. 
I also think it's very important because we're we're thinking about in this day and age the impact to climate change and the focus on climate pledge. And so when you have these opportunities, uh, we can deliver these travel solutions, which are cleaner and much more efficient that, that help all of us. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as we head into COP26 in a few weeks time, this is very much centre stage about how we can use technology around climate and sustainability benefits. And also just generally, you know, how we can go from data volume, you know, Thameslink being one example, transporting 40 million passengers a year in greater London area and with over 9 million data points each week. But how we can go from that to actually extract the data value from it. Perhaps we'll move on to a kind of a follow up question now, looking at the role of digitalisation affecting mobility as a service and and perhaps if I could go to you Cherie first on that one. Oh I, I might have uh, jumped ahead in my thinking there. <laughs> uh, I, I mean how digitalization affects uh, mobility as a service there's just an abundance of transport options that are available to travelers and operators and businesses uh, and so I, I think just us as uh, infrastructure providers and in solution providers, just thinking about how we're really enabling uh, all of these uh, these things, as I was saying, in terms of just ease of, of use and comfort uh, and insights in terms of what people are going to do with uh, the data from transportation systems, and then really furthering enabling the, the whole move towards climate pledge. I, I think that's, that's where we're going to come in the most. Absolutely, absolutely. And Davina, what's your thoughts on this one? I can just add to what Sherry said in terms of um, normally when we look at mobility as a service, the first aspect that comes to my mind is as passengers, all of us are looking for the best way to get from A to B. And um, what I always say is that even though we might start at the same point and land up at the same destination, what might be best for me may not be best for you. Meaning for you, maybe it could be that you want to find the fastest way to get from A to B. For me, it may be I want to find the most sustainable way with the least carbon footprint, for example, or um, in some cases, maybe the cheapest way. Or in COVID times, actually, we often got asked, what is the safest way to get from A to B? Meaning, how can I ensure that I'm getting on a mode of transport that's not too crowded? Can you tell me that in advance that if I, I don't know, walk to the next tram stop, then that's easier and not as crowded as maybe the metro that I was planning to take. So I think there's really um, different needs of, of passengers, of all of us as passengers, depending on either a result of our lifestyle choices or also just individual situations. And uh, I love giving this example because I once had a friend who came to me and said, well, you look at innovation and tech at mobility. I have a problem. Can you help me? And I said, okay, tell me more. And she said, uh, I have a child. Uh, That's not the problem. So maybe a part of it. But she said, um, you know, when I'm traveling with the stroller or pram, I always feel like it takes so much longer to get anywhere. And at that point in time, when she told me that, I thought, well, what's the big deal? And then I had a child. And then I realized how tedious it was uh, to actually travel in some parts. So what she was looking for was actually an app that would just tell her that, please sit in this carriage of the train because it's closest to the exit where the elevator is. Or please um, do not get off at this stop because it doesn't even have an elevator. Or get into this area because you have more space for your uh, pram, for example. So I think the point being that 
at the end, um, the key to success is actually to come up with the perfect match for each transport situation. And this is a true challenge. And then not just having the perfect match, but also ensuring that it's seamlessly connected across the different modes of transport. So this is the end to end journey that also Sherry was referring to. And this is where mass plays a very strong role because a successful mass platform is one that can address all these needs that we mentioned from a passenger perspective as well as from the operator perspective to ensure that you have true seamless connected mobility. And technology-wise, uh, as you can imagine, every mobility provider has its own data sources and data formats. And what a mass platform does is actually creates an abstraction layer and reduces the complexity in that environment to be able to offer the passenger and then also mobility operators for their needs, one space where you can plan, book, schedule, pay, and, and all of that in, in really one environment. And that's why I do believe that with digitalization, the possibilities that we have with mass have really exploded. I actually might add on because I, I love that example from Davina about traveling with children. You will pay anything when you're traveling with children to, to be able to do it in comfort, uh, to be able to do it efficiently, to get there as soon as possible. And, and so uh, I love that example. And I think when, when we think about what we're enabling for operators and businesses and people, uh, it, it's also having that kind of end consumer mindset in mind around having those, those types of goals. Uh, so for example, we can think about transport for New South Wales, uh, and they're using the cloud to predict patronage numbers across their entire transport network, which means they can better plan the workforce and utilization, and that improves customer satisfaction because uh, you, you have the, the trains running on time and, and all the, the right uh, connected folks there. Or Deutsche Bahn, who uses AWS for their IoT solution. And so they're gaining insights on its 6,500 trains, uh, and they can operate efficiently as well. And, and that, again, goes into that end consumer comfort. Uh, anything for, I think, people with children, I think, is the right goal to have in transportation. Yes, can only second that also with one. Hey, are we there yet? Yeah, and um, I mean, I think I would also say that when we look at mass platforms, we are seeing as uh, Siemens Mobility, we are seeing more and more of these requests coming for countrywide mobility as a service platform. So, for example, uh, we recently uh, are basically one attender and are developing something for the Netherlands really for the whole country. We had something already that we developed for Denmark. Uh, we do have um, something coming up now for Spain. So we see that the fact that digital technologies is making mass uh, so accessible and so beneficial that there are more and more countries that are moving towards that solution. I think some great examples already, and perhaps we could go into that in a little bit more detail and explore some, maybe some of the most important projects you have been or are currently working on in terms of this digitalization of rail-based mobility. I'd love to kind of drill into that a little bit more. Um, perhaps first to you, Davina. I think one of them you mentioned uh, earlier in the talk, which was regarding Thameslink. I think the, the core at Thameslink, as you mentioned, I mean, we are talking about transporting 40 million passengers in the London area. And um, you can imagine how many data points that generates per week, as we said, 9 million, which um, just to give you a comparison, Netflix has about yeah, less than half a million. Um, and I think, you know, this compares actually how many movies Netflix has to how many data points you get just from a train. Uh, and when we look at that and when we look at the data and, and what does that help us achieve, I think in Thameslink, especially when you're transporting 
those number of passengers from A to B, the goal is also to achieve 100% rail system availability, meaning that if the train was planned to go from A to B at a particular time, it would then be available to do that. And there would not be any unplanned failures. And this we can do through the benefit of data and the algorithms that we develop on top, which help us on the one hand to predict failures before they occur, or on the other hand, to ensure that we are managing the whole system. So it's not just the train, but it's train in combination with uh, everything around it. And this is where our Railagent application platform comes into play quite strongly there. Um, and also, I think the results that we see there speak for themselves, right? So we can offer over the life cycle of rail projects which run over 30 years uh, to optimize the life cycle cost over the complete life cycle of those many years, which is really key to have transportation systems running efficiently or that you can reduce unplanned downtimes by 50% and also often reduce this unnecessary transfer that you have of trains into maintenance uh, when there's not really a need for them to be in maintenance. So I think all of this kind of speaks for itself as to how data can really help drive efficiency within operations and maintenance and also high availability within that environment. Fantastic examples there and all the clear benefits coming to the fore as well, Davina. Thank you for that. And from an AWS perspective, what would you highlight, um, Cherie, in terms of the most kind of relevant, important standout projects for you that are really supporting this? Yeah, I think I really wanted to echo a couple of things that Davina was talking about, especially around predictive maintenance, because uh, it, it is very important to be able to get data from a lot of different sources uh, and be able to bring them into a central place to be able to do analysis and grab insights on it. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that, that we really focus on as, as a cloud provider. So if I were to give a couple of examples, I can think about VR Fleetcare, which is using AWS data analytics and machine learning for predictive maintenance use cases for their customers, such as Finnish Rail. And uh, their rail services unit will reduce maintenance costs over the life cycle of the train using predictive maintenance as well. That's that's just so many of the things that we we really want to enable and uh, I'm glad to see the, the impact of as, as folks continue to build on those algorithms. Absolutely beautifully put. I love that. Fantastic. And I'm going to use one of my little phrases now about changing the narrative. And I think it really applies to um, transportation, actually. I think the rail sector is sometimes has this perception of being a little bit conservative. Um, I have a different view. I think you probably will as well. So I'd love to kind of drill into you know how the pace of change is affecting this industry through digitalization and how you see that particular perspective. And I'd love to go to you I'm Davina on that one. I'm glad that you said that you think otherwise. So do I. <laughs> so, but I, mean, I think what is important to keep in mind is that um, from a rail sector perspective, we are operating in extremely high safety requirements and harsh environmental conditions. So that, of course, makes it not so easy to adopt advances as they happen in other industries to just very easily adopt that. However, I would say this has changed with digitalization. And I do believe that it is completely transforming the industry. Great, great examples. Thanks so much. And I think at this point, we'll move on to another really interesting topic area, which is that of tech integration, particularly looking at cloud and IoT. So we've been talking about some of the trends and technologies that are so important for digitalization. I'd love to kind of have a look at what areas you feel um, digitalization efforts should be focused on to really fulfill the promise of the European rail sector and supply industry's ambitions. So perhaps to you, Sherry, 
Terry, what you're seeing in terms of, I'd like to call it the age of convergence, to be honest. So around artificial intelligence, 5G connectivity and digital twins. Yeah, those are very big topics that have been coming up a lot. And when we think about ML and AI, I think the first thing that comes to mind is where we're thinking around the predictive maintenance side. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that we're, we're thinking about in terms of where smart buildings and smart cities and industrial IoT are. Uh, for example, being able to bring in computer vision because the 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 price of cameras uh, and the ability to have many cameras in different places uh, in place of uh, a lot of sensors has, has kind of been a growing trend. Um, and so kind of reshaping where we think about machine learning and computer vision, both at the edge and in the cloud, has been a very big topic. Uh, I, I, I like what you brought up in terms of 5G, because that is really transforming the connectivity landscape. Uh, it allows lower latency and higher bandwidth across a much larger scale of devices. And the advent of 5G, it, it brings these dramatic improvements to both the radio access network and its core network. Uh, so for example, uh, being able to use millimeter wave spectrum for better throughput and less latency in data transmission uh, it is, it is something that we're, I'm, I'm very excited that, that 5G has brought to us. Um, and then that kind of, with its decomposed architecture, uh, and that introduces kind of the service-based interface uh, and the control plane and user plane separation, which it inherited from 4G. Uh, that architecture now brings this this benefit of cost savings and scalings when you have something like the control plane, that it can be centralized in AWS regions uh, while distributing user plane functions such as packet processing to edge data centers, uh, for example, using AWS outposts or wavelength or local zones. So uh, all of that I'm saying in short, uh, the 5G network architectures are giving a much easier transition to this modern innovation of cloud-native software technologies such as your microservices and having containerized service-based and stateless architectures. Uh, next, I'll, I'll probably talk about what you said on digital twins because it's it's always been in our mind to have digital twins of, of everything. And it's not really a new concept. I think Siemens has been a, a fantastic leader in, in digital twins in, in all aspects of it. Uh, and customers are creating digital twins of products they're designing or processes they're operating and assets that they're trying to simulate and, and design in better ways. Uh, as AWS, we have a lot of these building blocks uh, for for the creation of whatever custom digital twins uh, customers are thinking about. From a practical perspective, we're we're very interested in a real time operating twin uh, because being able to do that part of it really well means you're connected and you have the ability to collect and process and analyze data at the edge and in the crowd, cloud. So it's incredibly important to me that, that customers have that, that power of cloud services in all the places that they need it. Thank you so much, Sheree. I completely agree with that. 5G really lives that. It isn't just a step change. It really is a transformational leap in terms of what it can enable and very much the hub of so many other different technologies as well. So perhaps moving on for that a little bit, thinking about companies and of course, rail companies in particular, they need these new ways to grow and obviously to innovate too. One way around this obviously is the connection of systems and processes using the cloud, as you mentioned there, Sheree. What opportunities do you think we can open up when more local solutions are replaced by these cloud cloud-based ones. And um, perhaps I could go back to you, Sheree, on that one. I think connecting systems and, and processes uh, to the cloud in general, regardless of what you're replacing or modernizing, uh, just generally means you have 
improved business agility. Uh, you can you have the ability to increase staff productivity and have these connected workers who who now have access to more data, which means they're making data-driven decisions uh, and are more expedient with the actions that they need to take uh, in either change management or uh, just in, in reaction to alarms and alerts that are, uh, that are going off. Many companies have ideas and experiments to be tested that uh, where they, they can't rely on testing in, in physical production. And so customers such as National Rail Inquiries in the UK have said, Using AWS gives us more flexibility to set things up. It's a big benefit to us in terms of agility and being able to react quickly. I would also add that moving to the cloud will also make it easier for information products to be available to traditional suppliers and startups alike. Uh, so that generally means uh, we're, we're contributing to the rate of innovation and mobility. Uh, as an example, we can think about Transport for London, which opened up access to its data, and since then, application developers and researchers have used that data to create more than 600 applications. Superb. That really brings that to life. And Davina, from a Siemens Mobility perspective, how are you seeing this this role of cloud? For us, uh, it is really a game changer in the rail industry. I just want to build on something that Sherry just mentioned uh, in terms of AWS's role there. So I think um, having a partner like AWS as we go on our cloud journey in the complete transportation environment is definitely of benefit. And that's not only because we have brilliant colleagues like Sherry there, uh, but also I would say that we use AWS as Siemens Mobility to deliver the Railagent application for rail operators. And this is one of our core applications suites that ensures all the safety and efficiency and reduced maintenance costs and high availability. One of the most attractive reasons for us to work with AWS was the opportunity to centralize data. As Sherry mentioned, I mean, there's really a lots of sources of data that help you get to a better decision and uh, to a better next step on, on what to do and what not to do. Absolutely. I love those points about partnership coming to the fore there. That trusted partnership is really, really evident from everything you're saying. And as we're in this deep dive from a more technical perspective, IoT's come out obviously as well as cloud here. But what would be more important when it comes to digitalization of rail-based mobility? So cloud or edge, what are the pros and cons between the two? So um, perhaps to you first, Cherie, on this one. Yeah, I'll probably add a uh First, that cloud and edge are not necessarily mutually exclusive. They they play really well together, and it, it kind of goes to the point I was saying earlier around being able to have the the services and the technology where you need them for the for whichever reasons you need them for. Uh, so, for example, edge applications may require uh, maybe there because you require quick analysis and, and a very quick response or a low latency response, uh, such as giving on-site operators visibility and alerts for use cases like the, the detection of obstacles on a track. Um, edge applications may also require analysis of very high volumes of data, such as high-frequency sensors or camera images that I was talking about, uh, which may need to be selectively sent to the cloud just due to the bandwidth constraints that you have the edge, or whichever edge that may be. On the other hand, you have other applications that require a lot of storage and analysis across very long timelines of data or across uh, a large disparate set of data sources like the entire fleet of, of assets, your, your buses, your trams, your trains, and other shared vehicles. Uh, and so you'll, you'll want to have the ability to, to filter uh, um, and decide uh, at, at different times which things should go into the cloud. 
uh, and those applications will require that centralized access, computation capacity for AIML that the cloud can efficiently provide in the on-demand and pay-for-what-you-use way. So in the fullness of time, I I think customers will operate in this very interesting hybrid mode uh, and utilize edge and cloud as needed in response to whatever their performance, latency, residency, and cost requirements may be. Um, I can only, uh, let's say, reiterate uh, what Sherry mentioned in terms of the benefits of cloud and edge. And there are specific use cases where cloud definitely has uh, the upper hand and others where you have uh, need quicker response times, for example, where edge has the upper hand. So it's really this interplay between the two uh, that will drive the change in the transportation sector too. Thank you for adding to that point. I think maybe as one final wrap up for this topic, um, what concrete advantages or services do you see for the passenger and operator that can be or already be heightened really by cloud solutions? And where does that needed data need to come from? And what exactly do you use it for? In addition to the examples I talked about, those are focused on giving operators benefits such as the predictive maintenance use cases that we were talking about and improving availability and capacity planning. Uh, we also really want to focus on the, the end user benefits uh, and we kind of touched upon that as well with having this really smooth user experience for travel planning uh, and the actual journey. Uh, again, especially for people with small children, uh, highest priority in my book still. And then uh, we really want to give access to data and especially the the use of open data, like I was talking about with Transport for London. Uh, So I I would probably say those are the the major advantages and the services that we we really are focusing on with respect to cloud solutions. I would just like to add to what Sherry said with a couple of examples that come to my mind with the benefits that she did mention. So if we think about inspections, that is a big topic for us in the rail industry. And uh, we have worked with the partner Strukton Rail that uh, does specialize in construction and maintenance of rail infrastructure. And we've worked to develop what we call a video track inspector. So what this does is that it uh, uses train-mounted video cameras that basically take all the data and transfer it into our application suite, where we use uh, ML algorithms that can analyze the images and also uh, identify the defects and also geolocate where exactly the defects are. Because as you can imagine, there's... uh, kilometers and kilometers of of track and then also taking it to the next step of issuing work orders uh, and also informing the maintenance staff in terms of what needs to be done. And that's more on the operator side. If I think about the passenger side and what Sherry was touching upon in terms of making it easy to plan, book, pay, we discussed some examples previously on that too. And if I look at um, Harkon, which is uh, a software uh, solution that is considered one of the best, if not the best, trip planning and uh, routing solutions in the world. And uh, that also prompted MIT to label it as one of the 50 smartest companies worldwide. And I think the, the key here is, again, it is through the cloud solutions, through the data, and through the um, possibilities that we have with L and AI today that we can offer passengers 
this kind of end-to-end -end view and the comfort that they need when they are making their particular mobility journey. And I'd just like to extend that a bit with one use case, which is when I think about passengers with disabilities. And um, I had a conversation recently with, with someone who was saying that that is uh, often a challenge, especially when you have ramps that do not work. And the vision should be that, you know, you have an app that tells you when there's a particular ramp on a train that does not work and that uh, you need to maybe go to another carriage of the train or another uh, part of the train. And I think this is really key where data and, and technology comes into play to provide and support the individual mobility needs uh, that each of us have based on lifestyle choices or based on individual situations. Fantastic. Thank you both. So let's move on to our final topic area now and a critically important one. I think that resonates with everybody probably more than ever at the moment, that of cyber security. You know, with this increasing digitalization we're experiencing, it still remains a top priority for us all. And neither the integrity of railroad infrastructure and trains nor customers' privacy or personal data can be compromised. So how do you want to make mobility more convenient and better for everyone, but at the same time ensuring it's kept safe and secure. Davina, I'd love your thoughts on that. That's a big topic. And someone once said that uh, IoT without security is the internet of threats. And I really believe in that since we were talking about IoT. I always tell my team that cybersecurity is a non-negotiable and it needs to be inherent in everything that we do in our processes, in our products, so security by design and in the services that we deliver. I think from a Siemens mobility or just from a mobility sector perspective, our customers are operating critical infrastructure. So of course the industry is confronted with specific laws and requirements for cybersecurity which are extremely high. And I think what's important is when you look at the life cycle of uh, a train for example, or an infrastructure, we're talking about 30, 40 years. So you have to also ensure that you're keeping it cyber secure for those many number of years over the complete life cycle. And I think you're, uh, it's basically finding the right partner. So it's finding the right partner you can completely trust, trust through this whole journey. For us, um, we do see strong partnerships that we have with customers, such as a customer project that we did in Norway, where we will be implementing uh, the first nationwide rail automation project according to 62443 SL3, which is a um, security certification level, and it goes into operation next year. And we have contracted cybersecurity services for 25 years. Maybe I also hand over to Sherry, since uh, they are the company that has a lot of data in their environments that we also very actively use. I, I mean, we're just in, in such violent agreement around the importance about security. Uh, and we recognize that rail has its own regulations and security requirements, and Siemens is certainly leading in the, in the industry there. At AWS, security is what we consider job zero. And AWS has the expertise to keep the cloud business secure on all levels. Uh, AWS supports more security standards and compliance certifications than any other offering from ISO standards uh, through to national certifications and frameworks. With our customers, we really have this shared responsibility model, which means AWS is responsible for protecting the infrastructure that runs all of the services that are offered in the cloud. Uh, and that reduces uh, our customers' operational burden because we're operating, managing, controlling the components from what we would call the host operating system, the virtualization layer, down to the physical security of the facilities in which these services operate. But that also means we're, we're constantly thinking about how to make it 
easier for customers to to have better security. And we're we're investing in the building of these services that find and fix problems, that analyze and and automate security and compliance assessments, uh, so that. Uh, Customers can really manage uh, the the access and, and encryption, and and uh, hopefully not have to think about uh, as much the the various attack vectors that can really happen. Um, the the shared model also means that customers will have to consider the services they use for their specific use cases, um, uh, such as uh, you know the because their responsibilities will vary depending on the services that they use, the integration of those services into their environment, the the applicable laws and the regulations for for things uh, uh, and their use cases like rail. Uh, and so we're kind of constantly also encouraging best practices for cybersecurity, like. You know, keeping your systems up to date with the latest patches, uh, implementing a defense in depth strategy to create layers of security uh, and, and protect your systems and data, uh, using encryption, logging, monitoring at all levels to protect the data, um, performing formal threat and risk assessments to evaluate security practices across their organizations, and ensuring adequate training and controls are in place to help all employees maintain that high bar for security. And so we're, we're trying to uh, enforce and help these best practices as best as possible. I think Sherry just mentioned and clearly described a shared responsibility model. And what is great about that is that it clearly defines which elements of security AWS is responsible for and which ones we as a partner of AWS are responsible for. And I think the commitment and reputation that AWS has to cybersecurity, a lot of what Sherry was mentioning, uh, makes us feel that we have a trusted partner. And as I mentioned earlier, I think in cybersecurity, the key is to ensure that you do have a trusted partner. Fantastic. Thank you for adding on to that. And that leads us on now to uh, influence a question that's been um, provided by Harold Sinnott. Hi, Sally. This is Harold Sinnott. Uh, my question is about how will digitalization impact transportation in the next 20 to 30 years? Davina, what's your take on that? In one sentence, impossible. I know that's difficult. I think digitalization will ensure that transportation is cleaner and greener, smarter, autonomous, shared, seamless, and comfortable. So that's my try in one sentence, lots of words. That excellent, a great effort. And Cherie, over to you on this one. I think by if I think about what was transportation 20 years ago, and so kind of looking so far forward into the next 20 years with the pace of innovation uh, is kind of crazy to me. Um, but I, I do think it, there's going to be this really major emphasis on use and comfort. There's going to be you know, no such thing as waiting for the train. You're just going to have this seamless door-to-door experience. Uh, and, and I think that's all going to be possible with uh, digitization and transportation. Brilliant stuff. And we have time for one final question. I'm going to kind of reverse the digital angle here slightly with this one. So you know, as per our discussion today, but also you know, around both of your roles, in fact, all of our roles, digitalization, topics around digital, it's very much the heart of what we do. But when we look at um, kind of private or professional everyday life, should we say is there anything that you still do that you would say is actually totally analog uh, I, I mean I, I, I think there are a couple of different things that I still do uh, like I think I, I still very much like having physical paper to read things on like the physical books and magazine and writing notes on paper uh, I, I think one thing that's really changed I would say in the last 10 20 years is just I, I still walk to a light switch to turn it on and off <laughs> despite all the technology that we have in, in this house and in buildings and so if I were to say 
that is completely analog today. Uh, I, I think that would probably be true. And in another few years, all lights, everything, uh, automated trains uh, and all that would be just taking me where I need to go and, and knowing exactly what I need to, to have when. So I, I think that you'll see that change pretty quickly, but that's analog over here. <laughs> Davina, <laughs> what about you? Hmm, that's a good question. I would say, I think for me, it's privately, it's um, running after my three-year-old child. Sometimes I wish I had an avatar that would do that for me, but um, that's something, of course, that is completely analog and will hopefully not change for many, many years to come. So that's something I hope that will never get digital. I love that. Thank you both. And that brings us to the end of our podcast today. So Davina and Sherry, thank you so much for your time and your conversation. It's been fantastic. This is actually the first all-female Moving Beyond podcast. And I think it's been a great one. Honestly, it's been such a natural flow. It's been fantastic. I think for the audience, I hope we've been able to bring to life just how digitalization is really catalyzing a revolution in the transport sector. And very much this age of convergence that we mentioned earlier with IoT, cloud, 5G and more and plus of course embedded security by design bringing that confidence as well alongside this change and also the power of partnership for me that trust has come to the fore right across this conversation between Siemens Mobility and AWS really making a difference for all stakeholders and delivering those benefits that we've talked about from personalization to accessibility to availability to automation to connectivity and something we all care about here sustainability too so thank you so much Davina and Cherie and thank you all for listening and look forward to the next episode of the Siemens Moving Beyond podcast. Thanks for joining us.